we are here with another episode of decision lab podcast in today's episode we will try to understand how countries have come together for sustainable development goals and to combat climate change through paris agreement and conference of parties let's explore more Welcome everybody. Very excited to be here with all of you for our next podcast. Back here again with me Neha Khandekar and my co-host for the podcast Divya Sharma. Both of us are very excited and happy to have with us Ashwarya who works in climate change adaptation and mitigation areas at the Energy and Resources Institute Delhi at New Delhi office. we are very very happy to have her here welcome ashwarya hi neha hi divya um, thank you for such a warm welcome i'm very happy to join you in this discourse on the themes of climate change and sdgs um, which are very prominent in today's time so yeah, i am looking forward to the discussion so ashwarya to begin i would like to ask you according to you uh, what has been the history of the course of evolution of these various developmental and climate change goals how have they evolved so um, i think climate change and sdgs have had um, a sort of history and sort of predecessors if i can say so mostly they came about in 1992 from the earth summit and we had the establishment of the uh, unfccc and it is under the unfccc that you have certain treaties agreements which now are very prominent so for example you had kyoto protocol which sort of had um, binding obligations on certain countries which are the developed countries for bringing down greenhouse gas emissions because there was a realization that the anthropogenic interference with the climate earth's climate is not going down well and it is going to have externalities which are going to be very adverse so it began from then uh, but the kyoto protocol so was not entirely successful in fact it failed so that's why as the journey continued under the climate change discourse you had the paris agreement come about in 2015 which was very defining which was a landmark event because all parties to the unfccc actually agreed to it it also uh, included both developing and developed countries so it was a unanimous approach to combating climate change and 2015 was also the year when the sustainable development goals came about both of them are very interlinked both of them talk about you know how economies that are going to grow and continue to grow in the 21st century need to look at these two topics in a very cross cutting and intersectional manner because they are connected and if i would look at it from the sdgs point of view sdgs are actually the successors of millennium development goals and what is happening with sdgs is that millennium development goals concentrated on a few themes such as poverty and hunger health all these kind of concepts but sdgs are more elaborate they are very comprehensive and they are universal so all countries are supposed to look into the sdgs there are 17 of them look into the targets that are outlined in all of these 17 sdgs and then guide their policy making at the national level in line with what is you know being put out in these targets so that while they are developing they can have a, a socio economic progress but keeping environmentalism in in mind keeping inclusiveness in mind keeping equity in mind 
So uh, this is a very brief way to put out the evolution of both these concepts. But I think uh, now we've reached a stage where the world would like to see how do you how do you reap the benefits of both of these themes? What would be the costs also attached, maybe, if you have to fulfill SDGs and climate change together? So I think that's the stage that we're on at the global governance level and also in, in terms of many countries and their domestic policies. Ashwarya, when we look at the SDGs, I think um, these are not binding and they are like guidance for the country. Uh, yes, Devya. So they are not binding, but there is a sense of obligation which comes with SDGs. And that is happening because uh, simultaneously countries are supposed to fulfill their mandate in terms of climate change, in terms of disaster resilience as well through the Sendai framework, if I may say so. Mm -hmm. So what happens is that SDGs in itself carry on the principles that are being outlined in climate change negotiations and through the Sendai framework, because we already have an SDG on climate change, which is SDG 13. We also have a target under SDG 11, which talks about following the seven targets, I think, in the Sendai framework. So it's not binding, but it is mm -hmm. obligatory. And if you fulfill one of them, you will in turn be somewhere fulfilling the other as well. Okay, Ashwarya, I just wanted to know binding and obligatory. What is the difference if you can highlight that? Yeah, sure. Uh, so the way I see it is that a binding would have certain components to evaluate what you've done. So if I see from the climate change perspective and the recent, uh, you know, the, the Bible right now is the Paris Agreement, right? So within the Paris Agreement itself, you have certain articles which talk about accountability, transparency, and taking stock of what parties, which is the countries that are party to the conference of parties, what are they doing uh, in terms of the targets that they had set out through their nationally determined contributions. So those are NDCs, like I said, the nationally determined contributions are actually the documents uh, wherein countries individually are uh, putting out, outlining what are their mitigation and adaptation targets with respect to climate change. So there is this process, you know, there's monitoring, there's evaluation, uh, there's this uh, process which wants to help countries increase ambition through this evaluation process as well. But, with, but SDGs do not have any uh, such process as far as I know. I am more of an expert on the climate change perspective, but I have covered SDGs well and I, have, I don't think that they have any of these components because they're not binding. But it's obligatory because you know, there's a sense of responsibility that has come at the global governance level on countries. And because you are, like I said, by default, you will be fulfilling some of the SDG goals. I'm not saying all, but some of them, yes, through these other mechanisms to which you have also signed up and ratified, like the Paris Agreement and the Sendai Framework. So obligation would become more of a moral come uh, necessary you know, objective that countries would have in mind. They would also want to transition in a way that is sustainable, right? So it's more obligatory, but there is no binding or penalizing thing, if I may say so, in the SDGs. Okay, Ashwarya, the way I understood that, okay, we have to report and uh, it's a national level thing which we are um, targeting. So I think SDGs are a big example of setting very high long-term goals. How in that governing structure where you give a country a very long-term target, 
then how do you see that trickling down to state level or uh, maybe till the village level so i think in terms of climate change what happens is that uh, india for example had already put out the napcc i think in 2008 and 9 so it already had in mind that we should have a policy and we are going to put it at sub national level as well which is called sapcc state action plan for climate change and napcc is the national action plan for climate change so the trickling down and decentralization of these policies uh, to the grassroots or at least i can say the sub national level that is in a way already happening even before the paris agreement because it was happening before 2015 now how do you do that at least from the climate change perspective is that the napcc has a list of seven to eight missions which focus on renewable energy which focus on you know uh, conserving ecosystems uh, resources like water and you want that under that mission there are set of action climate action policies that um, you know states should come up with so all the states in india now have it many of them are revising so that is one way in which at least in the climate change uh, subject matter in india there is strong trickling down at least in theory and i'm sure even empirically it is happening now in terms of sdgs sdgs is a relatively new concept and what i have noticed uh, because niti aayog is the nodal agency for uh, implementing sdgs in india is that uh, you know it 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 looks at all the sdgs it looks at all the targets under these sdgs with respect to also the indicators now that are developed it identifies also what are the national policies that are there so for example uh, under poverty there might be a lot of themes and policies taken out by uh, the government of india and probably it is through those scopes that it is trying to implement it and many of those uh, policies are central sector schemes or centrally sponsored schemes so it will trickle down to the states because the center will tell the states that you know under this mission you're supposed to do so and so so uh, this is how i see sdgs working in india and because sdgs are uh, just developmental plans and it's reported uh, it there is no okay you need to have a set of sapcc like it, it's not a model like napcc come sapcc at the sub national level it's more of i i the way i see it is more through schemes and policies of the central government that's interesting ashwarya i am just wondering the fact that you said that niti aayog is the nodal agency can you elaborate a little on which other ministries hold the responsibility of analysis and reporting for meeting the targets of set by all these goals and which departments or which ministries hold the data for it and who are the other researchers and what sort of training do and backgrounds do they come from to help ministries in such an analysis that's a very interesting question neha so um niti aayog as i said is the nodal agency the other uh, ministries or departments in the government that are involved would be uh, mospi which is the ministry ministry of statistics and program implementation so what mospi does is uh, you know because it provides with certain statistics and data uh, it actually works on the national indicator framework now nis uh, like i said previously is basically developing a set of indicators so that you can track uh, where you're going with sdgs and uh, the targets in the sdgs so that is what mospi has done 
Uh, what I noticed in some of the documents of Niti Aayog was that um, what they've done is that they have divided all the SDGs and uh, attached a nodal agency for each of them. So um, if it would be poverty, it would be the Rural Development Ministry. If it would be climate change, it would be the uh, Ministry of Environment and Climate Change. And what they've also done is that within that SDG, so for example, uh, SDG 13 has like three to four targets within it. Uh, so within that, if the target is talking about say building resilience, is a DRR, right? So that is related to disaster management. So it would also go to the Ministry of Home Affairs because that is where the NDMA is based, which is the nodal agency in India to handle disaster management, uh, National Disaster Management Authority. So uh, that's how I noticed that they have deviated this work. And that is how the networking is done between the government agencies. Uh, in terms of what would be the expertise, again, I think they need to have, um, you know, it depends on the SDG. So uh, it, it's more of like a subject or an area expertise. Because when I was working in Terry, I did contribute to the NIF last year. So we, uh, we were uh, collaborating with MOSPI and there was also MOEF. Now, I was given the task because I am working in Terry, I'm working on climate change to basically from Terry's end as an expert agency contribute only to SDG 13 specifically from my area. So I think it's more of the expert opinion coming from what SDGs uh, you're, you're addressing and then you collaborate with experts and departments in the ministry only for that specific SDG. That is my understanding. Right. And Ashwarya, just curious uh, for our you know, young listeners out there, what sort of training you went through and what sort of skill set does one need to participate in contributing to such, a, such an analysis and helping the ministry produce uh, the, out, the reports? Okay, um, so the way I see it is that with SDGs, you should have a background of say political economy, a bit of governance, that would be more helpful. That is a bit of what I have also. You know, you need to be a bit aware also about certain uh, policies that are ongoing in the country and certain basic um, instruments that the country uses to measure, you know, data on certain things and understanding of India and also of development in general, the development sector a bit. But because SDGs are very cross-cutting, again, I would say that um, it does require a subject expert because then there are SDGs on, say, waste management. There are SDGs on, say, energy. Now, those are SDGs where you will need somebody who is uh, more, uh, who comes from that technical side, you know. So I would say in general, you should have an understanding of uh, policy governance, political economy in a very conceptually sound way. But then when it comes to specific SDGs, you would require the area experts. Right, Ashwarya, that makes sense. On a personal note, Ashwarya, as a young woman researcher working in this domain, what sort of soft skills do you see that would take one a long way in work that you do? I, I think that somewhere uh, what I noticed because I was working on a project in Terry where we were trying to look at the linkages and the co-benefits that could be there between climate action and SDGs. And what I saw from a lot of countries, um, 
uh, whose NDCs I had come across, a lot of them in Asia, all of them, Africa, all of them, I felt that there was not much emphasis being laid on gender, uh, which is one of the SDGs. And why I was questioning that was because I felt working professionally in this area or even on this theme that um, somehow even when we talk about climate change or SDGs, there's a lot of emphasis maybe on things like energy, maybe even on health, poverty. But, you know, we need to realize that although it is, it is often said by international uh, organizations and uh, the big the big names in the world that, you know, oh, gender is important. But I somewhere feel that uh, we need to integrate that a bit more. We need to have that perspective. You know, we need to have a gender perspective to climate change. We need to understand how do you uh, mainstream gender in a lot of uh, uh, SDG-oriented policies. And it was a bit surprising that you are talking about climate change and SDGs, but um, the most vulnerable population is uh, our women and children. So I, I felt that somewhere uh, that voice needs to be heard more, that perspective needs to be brought about more. We, we might be just having one, uh, you know, theoretical understanding or perspective through which we are still looking at things. Although, of course, there are many researchers, but this is what I gathered from my work experience at least. Okay, Shwarya, that was uh, an interesting point that gender equality is not given that emphasis in the SDGs, at least that is what you have observed when you say that there is a goal for well-being as well in SDG. So the definition of well-being and then how you measure it is also very important. It's a measurement issue sometimes. So when it comes to even gender equality, then how will you see equality or how you define equality and then how you measure it? So uh, can you highlight where uh, somewhere in your uh, own experience where a very abstract term has been defined and where actually you think that technology can also help? Um, that's a very interesting question, Divya. I think that AIs obviously have uh, kind of captured a lot of arenas and they are well equipped to monitor and to report and to just um, you know intellectually use a lot of tools. For example, now that we have a set of indicators. So for an AI to interpret an SDG action based on those fixed indicators, because that's just an input output mechanism, that's fine, they can do that. So, uh, but beyond that, uh, on matters which are more subjective, it might become a bit difficult for AIs uh, because it's already difficult. Like a lot of qualitative components, uh, even within SDGs, they are, they can vary from interpretation to interpretation. So that is when we'll have to kind of understand that what, how are we expecting to use this technology and how are we understanding SDGs first and foremost? So that then we, we know how to use and sort of uh, you know, navigate across all these targets. So I think both, both these things need to be kept in mind because there are indices uh, uh, even globally uh, on matters relating to um, human science and social science where uh, you can have different interpretations and subjectivity coming in. So even for the human mind, it has not been a very easy process. So uh, yeah, it's something to ponder upon how you will integrate AIs into this. Ashwara, when we say the decision-making process, then how do you see COP and SDGs, both of the systems work? 
the way I see COP and SDGs are that one can be a platform because it has had a history of, um, you know, there's this uh, thinking that it's not always very equal, whereas SDGs uh, right now are very universal in nature. So there is a difference which comes about when countries are trying to interpret it. And I think also when it comes to their um, decision-making and implementation. So in decision-making, what happens at COP is that, um, you know, over the years, there has been, since the Paris Agreement, this understanding that all the countries are going to contribute because it is a global long-term goal to, uh, you know, peak, uh, you know, not, uh, not let the global temperatures rise uh, above two degrees Celsius compared to the pre-industrial levels. So keeping that mandate which the Paris Agreement has in mind, there is this understanding of uh, universal participation by all countries, but there is a difference when it comes to capacities and capabilities which countries have. So uh, they're setting out their own targets based on their capacities and they have to simply fulfill that. So uh, that is good, that is relatively easier for countries to understand. But then at the same time, uh, because it is putting the onus on all countries, there will be conflict. So for example, um, there are certain articles in the Paris Agreement which talk about say accountability and transparency of action, taking stock of what you've done. Um, those are the places where still there is a slight, uh, because I follow those things particularly, so I'll focus on that. There is a uh, problem uh, which the developing countries would have because what has happened now under transparency was that the reporting of actions that you've done of GAG emissions through your GAG inventory reports, through your uh, national communication, through your mitigation policies and actions, they have uh, undergone a change and under the, uh, the enhanced transparency framework, they are now uh, at part, like there's one single platform for you to report and for also for you to get reviewed. Now, COP says, or the Paris Agreement says that, uh, you know, you can have inbuilt flexibility for developing countries because we understand that, you know, they are not, everybody is not the same. And within the global south also, there are least developing countries, there are small island developing countries, which are, find it even more difficult. So while there is this understanding, there is also still this confusion and still this um, debate ongoing that, oh, what is good enough and what do we consider as being fair? So that debate is on at COP. Now that is a bit less in SDGs because SDGs are not even binding. And SDGs are, uh, you know, sort of this uh, motto or this just helping you kind of uplift yourself. So SDGs are more of how you can integrate your policies, your climate action, uh, how you can enhance resilience in a way that is favorable to you, to everyone, because in the long term, we know that climate change and disasters are going to strike all of us. So we also have to be prepared for it. So SDGs, in a way, are a little less conflicting. It does not cause a lot of antagonism. But COPs do. And that is why in COPs and in Paris Agreement negotiations, also you will have uh, different groups. So you have different groups which negotiate together. Uh, for example, there's G77, which has a basic is there where India participates. So they will have certain different ideas of how they want to exercise this responsibility of combating climate change. Whereas some of the SDGs are something which countries would anyway want to do, uh, focus on their development and do it. In an, uh, and also another difference is that SDGs are not always quantifiable. 
many of them are qualitative in nature many of them are uh, you know very generic sentences where you can interpret it in your own way and do something about it um so that way it's a bit easier to maneuver through sdgs for countries i assume rather than in climate change okay that was like um thank you for that answer i think it has um it has given us a bit of perspective that when people are in conflicts it's actually difficult to reach to a decision but when uh you are in an um, in a in a space where everyone is open to interpret their own way the the guiding principles or the the type of decision they want to take they are much more comfortable and they don't feel threatened and um, to conclude uh, this podcast actually we we want to know which bias do you think you have because of your own background and uh, one bias which you see in other people i think one of the most common biases which a lot of people would have in this i'm saying it from this very ir you know international relations perspective is that um a lot of times uh, you know like we did not have i i used to feel this way before the paris agreement came about that um, you know this climate negotiation can really yield a lot of fruitful results in the way that you want recently i also see some skepticism because you know the recent ipcc reports and everything tells you the global all the parties that you know whatever you're doing despite uh, you know sort of taking this path with this road map that you've developed where you are very positive you're enthusiastic also and it's very good that you've decided to do something together but it's not good enough so uh, i would like to say that um, sometimes i feel that it need not be the case because the way i see the world evolve is that you will be compelled to make a certain transition in your uh, gdp model in your economic growth model and i do feel that uh, you know like for example in the recent uh, if you see the carbon brief profile of countries like india or if you see the ccpi index uh, you know countries like india which uh, you know have done quite well so uh, they they're meeting their ndc targets so uh, it's not all wrong and things can be made better but it has to be very uh, it has to be very continuous it has to be very participatory and it has to be filled with a lot of trust and political will because that is what has gone wrong so sometimes what my personal bias would be that my understanding of politics tells me that you know whatever you've decided in negotiations might change because political leadership changes which i saw last year in certain countries and certain incidents that happened i think the world saw it so i think somewhere i have to find an answer to that i want to find the answer to whether political will changes with leadership or do countries have over the years one political ideology on certain themes because my understanding of foreign policy sometimes tells me that even though leaders uh will make a slight difference the usual stand on relations does not overall change at least it does not change very quickly it can change in certain contexts but not very quickly so that is a bias that i have where i need to identify and get more clarity on and i think globally this is the bias as far as sometimes people have and i don't know if it's a bias 
uh, it is a question that even I'm not sure what the right answer would be. And with that really insightful and honest answer of yours, Ashwarya, we will end this podcast now. Thank you, everybody, for joining us today. And thank you, Ashwarya, for being here with us. Thank you so much for having me here, Neha and Vivya. We have come to an end of today's episode. In the next episode, we will try to understand grassroots institutions with another guest. Keep listening. Keep